podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast with me, Phil Kitchramalides and Sid Lowe. Hello Sydney. Hello Philip, how are you? I'm alright mate. We're recording on Sunday evening, so we haven't had the final match of Match Day 8 completed. It's Granada against Sevilla, so we won't be talking about that game on today's podcast. But we will be talking about uh, the other fixtures from Match Day 8. Here are the results. It all kicked off on Friday night with a Bas Derby Athletic Club beating Alaves by a goal to nil. Uh, the only goal scored by Raul Garcia. The headlines made by Iñaki Williams, who played in his 203rd consecutive game for Athletic Club setting a record uh, five and a half years the last time he missed a game for Athletic. Then on Saturday Osasuna won their first home game of the season. They scored in injury time unfortunately, to beat Rai Vallecano by a goal to nil. Uh, Mallorca also produced a 1-0 win at home to Levante. Levante uh, missing a penalty late on through uh, El Comandante Morales. 16 matches in a row in La Liga without a win for Levante, their worst run in their history. Cadiz and Valencia finished 0-0. And Atletico Madrid beating Barcelona by two goals to nil in the big fixture of the weekend. Sydney was there and he'll tell us all about it. Then on Sunday we had Elche beating uh, Celta by a goal to nil. Elche's first home win of the season. Espanyol beating Real Madrid by two goals to one. A really, really entertaining game with some fantastic goals scored as well. Getafe got their first point of the season. They drew 1-1 at home to Real Sociedad. La Real could have gone top had they won. They probably should have done as well. Will that point be enough to save Getafe coach Michel and Villarreal produced a really strong performance at home. Two Betis to beat them by two goals to nil. Both goals scored by the hugely impressive Arnaut Danjuma. Sydney will start with the big game of the weekend at the Estadio Wanda Metropolitano, where Atletico Madrid beat Barcelona by two goals to nil. Uh, we'll get to the game in just a second. You were there, though. It was the first game with 100% capacity allowed in the stadium. It was very, very close to full. And this morning when we saw each other, you just said it was bloody brilliant at the yeah. Wanda yesterday. It was brilliant. And we've, we've said this before when um, at each of these different stages at which fans came back, it was brilliant just to have 20%. It was yeah. brilliant to have 50%. To basically have 100% was was absolutely fantastic. Um, Diego Simeone after the game was... Uh, what's the English word for Afonico? Um, had lost his voice? He lost his voice. Yeah. He lost his voice. I knew there wasn't an actual... So it's horse. Horse. Yeah. Um, he, could hardly, he could hardly talk and he said it's been really quite emotional, this. The, the idea of the, 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 everyone in there really, really noisy, really enjoyed it. For the first game back to be Barcelona, the sense of occasion that this is the league title winners, which of course none of these fans saw them win the league title, it's not in person. Uh, and the chance, this felt like kind of a chance to celebrate that and to reinforce the idea that they could well win the league again they are good enough to at the very least to compete for this league title again and it was a lot of fun and the game itself was was pretty good fun as well and, and certainly in the first half and in particular on the left hand side I thought Atletico were very very good indeed wasn't that fun if you're a Barcelona fan Sid no it wasn't the curious thing was I thought Barcelona started okay yes it felt like they were playing slightly on the front foot that they wanted a lot of possession which they got they had a lot of possession that they they weren't 
they weren't as, how would I put it, they weren't as flat as they'd been in previous games, but they're still fragile. And once they conceded, you didn't really feel like they were going to get back into it. Obviously, once it was 2-0, then you definitely didn't. The second half was a was a half of football that almost didn't happen. Gerard Piquet said after the game, we could have played for three hours and we wouldn't have scored. I mean, that's a very telling comment. It's an incredibly telling comment. They only really made one clear chance, which was uh, Felipe Coutinho, who, who hit Jan Oblak as Oblak was coming out to him. And the way that he hit it, with a kind of a combination of fear and distrust of his own ability, it kind of felt like a portrait of his Barcelona career. To be perfectly honest, yes, he still does have a Barcelona career. Just he does. I mean, he started off the front. He started in the middle of a line of three, playing in the number ten position, which in theory would be his favourite favourite position. Although I fundamentally think he's a player to play on the side of a of a of a three and come in and shoot. That's that's the one thing he does really, really well. He does some other things okay, but that's the one thing he does really well. Um, and Barcelona, obviously, some of the optimism that came with the return of Ansu last week, with the fact that Nico and Gavi are playing and that there are young players coming through, some of that, I think, evaporated a little bit this weekend. But, you know, we have to be very careful of not not making permanent judgments based on short-term scenarios. And, of course, it's Kuman himself who keeps saying this. Now, this is a team for the future. This is a transitional period. We need the patience. And it does feel now, and I must admit, until very, very late on Saturday, I, I wasn't a believer in this. I thought, no, nah, this is just a thing you're saying to buy yourself some time. But it does feel after the game, Kuman said, no, I had a conversation with Joan Laporta last night. And there will be time and there will be patience. And of course, what that means is he couldn't find a replacement. Essentially, that is yes. exactly what it means. Yeah. And then they had uh, Rafa Juste, his uh, sort of number two, the president's number two, coming out and saying, absolutely not, we've not been looking for any other manager. No, absolutely, you haven't. You haven't in the summer when you told him, give me two weeks to try and find a better manager. <laughs> you haven't in about, was it two weeks ago when the first search started happening? You definitely didn't then. And you definitely didn't two days ago. <laughs> When you even told some journalist the profile of the kind of manager that you wanted, and it was a profile quite conspicuous by the fact that it wasn't the profile that Ronald Koeman has. Yes, it's just absolute lies, basically, but they couldn't find anyone, so they are stuck for the time being with uh, Ronald Koeman. Uh, Ronald Koeman employing yet another formation. He's been told he needs to play 4-3-3-4 at the back. He likes to play the 3-5-2. It was a kind of 4-2-3-1. It was. Yes. Nico alongside Busquets. Yeah, Nico alongside Busquets, almost almost perfectly parallel. Um, you know, one of the things that we've, we've often been told about Barcelona 4-3-3, about the Guardiola era, about Cruyff as well, was that you, you don't have straight lines as such. You don't have people in parallels. You have diagonals. You create, obviously, create triangles. Any three points creates a triangle. But, but you, what I mean is you try and break that up. Um, and those two played more or less parallel with each other. You then had a line of three, again, more or less a straight line of three, not quite, in fairness, but not, more or less a straight line of three, and, and Memphis Depay up front. And it felt at times like Memphis Depay needed another Memphis Depay to be giving the ball to. Yes. That, that he kind of was an island. He was a little bit on his own. He was looking for players. He produced a couple of very nice deliveries into the box, actually, which could have led... Sorry, one nice delivery and one headed back across the face of goal, which possibly could have led to chances early on. But there was something slightly unconvincing about Barcelona when they attacked. It didn't seem to have incision. It didn't seem to have clarity. There wasn't a huge amount of imagination. In terms of the formation, Kuman then said after the game when it was put to him that, that Barcelona were opened up a little bit too easily on the right-hand side. He said, well, maybe now you understand why we play three centre-backs. And I understand why he would say that. 
But I don't really buy it because I don't think this was a product of the formation. This was a product of not defending well and a product of, um, admittedly, there's not a huge amount of choice there, but Mingeth are playing at right back and that's not Mingeth's role. And, and he's a player who I think is a perfectly capable defender, but not an outstanding one. Mm-hmm. Um, and Barcelona's problems, I think, are deeper than that. I don't think it does them any favours to look at this as a performance that, that lacked the final detail rather than a performance that was fundamentally flawed, which I personally think it was. Uh, remember last season when Yannick Carrasco scored and they won 1-0 and it was the first time that uh, Simeone had beaten uh, Barcelona uh, as uh, manager of uh, Atletico Madrid in, in La Liga. He tried a lot and hadn't been able to do it. Then he did it last season. And this season, what we saw last night, what we saw on Saturday, that 2-0 win, it must be the most comfortable victory for Atletico Madrid against Barcelona. I mean, in decades... I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You've been here a long time. Absolutely, I'm, str- been here a long I'm, str- time. I'm struggling to think of one that was better like that because there was a little period when Barcelona were very good and it felt like Atletico well, were the one team that took points for them, but it was never comfortable. It yes. Was always, oh, yes. I see what you mean. Yes, yeah, yes, it was yes. never comfortable. Um, Simeone said after the game, amongst the many things he said, one of the things he said was that this wasn't so different from some of the other games, but they used to have Messi. Mm. They don't anymore. And, and this honest, was the first game that yeah. they played without Messi against Atletico. And to be honest, I don't buy that either. Um, and I don't buy that, and I think it's over-humble from Simeone's point of view, because I think the performance yesterday was much more than just Barca don't have Messi. It was much more than that. I, I think while it's true that, as I said before, Barcelona had a lot of the ball, while it's true that they started OK, when Atletico turned and went at them, they caused some real problems there. 1-0 up with a goal that they opened up Barcelona on their left, Barcelona's right. They should have been 2-0 up when Luis Suarez has a really, really good chance that he doesn't take in a similar position. They get 3-0 up at half-time and at that point it just feels like, OK, it may not be loads of chances, but all three of them are really clear chances where you've completely opened Barcelona up. And in particular, that triangle in the first half of, of Jao Felix, Lamar and Luis Suarez was absolutely brilliant. Let's talk about them. Let's talk about those three players uh, individually, uh, if you like. Starting with João Félix, that first half performance, that's his best performance for Atletico Madrid. It given, may the well, con- given the context, it may well given be. how good he was. Yeah. yeah, it may well be. I mean, he. Though I remember having this discussion at some point last year. I think it was after about, around about this time, about eight, nine weeks into the season. He had, he'd had a brilliant start. Yeah. And I remember us saying... Maybe we're going to see yeah. the Jao Felix we fought. And then he didn't. Yeah. He, he tailed off the end. He said, actually, last night, in was fairness injuries. to him, that it yeah. was injuries. And I think he's, I think he's got a point. Uh, then he didn't get continuity and he struggled to find his feet. Simeone said last night something that was very interesting, I thought at least. And it particularly relates to, to the creation of the two goals. And he said, when Jao turns and goes at people, that's what I want from him. That's what he's so good at. And it's true that what he did yesterday in particular, and PK talked about this as well, was effectively draw Barcelona in yes. and then turn away from them. And by turning away from them, suddenly things open up. And then PK used that great phrase, and I just don't know how you best explain this, that he said, we knew that, Lima, that Lamar likes to Picard. Now, the Picard is basically that moment when you dash into the space beyond the defence, whether it's coming from the wing and dashing in diagonally or whether it's dashing through the middle. It's that sort of, you could almost call it as a a movement to get yourself unmarked or a movement beyond the defence. And he does that so well, but one of the things that makes it possible to do that so well is Lamar's willingness 
to, to run because he sees Jao Felix make that turn and then it opens in front of him. And those three doing that were brilliant. And you're right, I think this was the best performance from Jao Felix. Simeone, when he was trying to persuade Griezmann to come back, one of the things he was saying to Griezmann was, this could be really, really good with you and Suarez and, and Jao Felix, quite how they all fit together, we'll see. We will see, uh, because there are lots of good attacking players for Atletico Madrid now. Uh, Thomas Lamar was brilliant. Oh, he was fantastic. And do you remember when, obviously, his first year, year mm. and a half at Atletico Madrid was really, really not great at all. He was Atletico Madrid's record signing when yep. he was signed. And I remember us talking about Simeone telling us, telling the media, guys, this guy's amazing. I see him. Trust tr- me. Trust yeah. me. This guy's really, really good. And it turns out he knows what he's talking about. It turns out he does. I think one of the things that changed that really worked for Lamar was the shift in formation um, and the shift in his position within that. So rather than being one of the forwards or rather than being a, a wide midfielder in, broadly speaking, a four-four-two, not quite, but broadly, he became the, the inside left midfielder. And intuitively, that doesn't feel like quite the right role, role for him because it felt like he, this guy's an attacker. He's not really a midfielder as such. But it seemed to be exactly the right place for him to be involved, obviously helped by Simeone's decision to play this formation that allowed him to have kind of wing-backs, if you sort of mean. So Carrasco sort of as a wing-back. Tripper is a full-back who plays so high that he's effectively a wing-back. I think that's what helped to liberate Lamar. And we've got to talk about Luis Suarez as well, scoring against his former club, then saying sorry afterwards, but then also making a brilliant <laughs> gesture to Ronald Koeman, putting a sort of a hand to his ear, pretending to be a phone and sort of looking up to where Ronald Koeman was standing, sitting in the stands because he was suspended for the match and making reference to the fact that Ronald Koeman called him last year. Phone call lasted about a minute and he said, you're surplus to requirements, mate. Yeah. And Suarez had made that point this week in a couple of interviews. He, he actually spoke to Alex for, for ESPN. He spoke to Sport as well. And he talked about having felt like he was being treated like a 15-year-old, how he'd been made to go and train on training pitch three, or was it four? I can't remember. It was one of the two and not being part of the squad. And then, despite having all that, and Kuman even saying to him, look, we're going to sell you, but if you don't sell, maybe you'll play. And I think Suarez would have preferred Kuman to have been up front and said, well, look, this isn't going to happen. Mm. Um, or at least being direct and say, the president wants this and this is what we all want to happen. But if it doesn't, yes, maybe you'll play then. Um, and he felt that Kuman wasn't honest. And then he felt that Kuman lacked the nerve to actually speak to him in person and phoned up. And so that's why the, the phone call is a big part of it. There was another element which hasn't really been talked about, I think, very much in the media, um, which was that when the deal was done or, or basically in place to go to Atletico Madrid, Barcelona then tried to renege on it because, of course, famously, there was a, you know, you go for free, we pay off your contract, but you can't go to a series of clubs. Now, that list of clubs obviously included Real Madrid. I think it included Paris Saint-Germain. I can't remember if it included anybody else, but it didn't include Atletico Madrid because they hadn't thought to include Atletico Madrid. So when it was said, OK, it's off to Atletico, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. And, and they tried to renege on it. But in the end, they weren't able to because, of course, it was all written down in black and white. I cannot believe that he started this game. It was his fourth start in 12 days for yeah. Atletico Madrid. Obviously started away to Catafe and scored. It was very important. Started away to Alaves and played the full 90 minutes in both of those games and away to Milan uh, in the Champions League in midweek. Played the full 90 minutes there as well. Okay, he got subbed against, against Barcelona. But it's unbelievable given the, the physical state that he's in because he's not in the best shape. I'm not talking about weight. I'm no. talking about his knees. His knee, I mean, his knees have been a problem for a very long time now. I remember that he, he very nearly 
really didn't make it to the 2014 World Cup because of his knees. He actually came back probably quicker than he really should have done, certainly quicker than was <laughs> medically advisable, um, but was, was, was driven to, to get back to that. He played, I remember him talking about the goal he scored against England, the second goal when he hit it high into the top of the net against England. And he said that he spoke to the physio afterwards and the physio showed him the video. He said, look, when you hit it there, that knee is about to give way. You can, you can see, he said, you can actually see the instability in it. Um, and these are kind of ongoing problems. And Simeone said at, at Getafe, I think it was, uh, Simeone was talking about the forwards and how it's not working yet. And he said, well, you know, just when we thought Lewis was finding his feet, they had to go and do the, the what do you call it, an artroscopy. Uh, artros- when, when you clean out the knee, what's that called? Well, I have no idea. Artroscopia, I think it is. No idea. God knows what that is in English. Artroscopy. Anyway, I can't say the word. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter. Yeah, Patricia yeah. Rao will work it out for us. And, and, and he's not in great physical shape. And yet in this game, he looks sharp. And yeah. I think what we got, again, was that Luis Suarez is the player to link things up if the other piece is in place, but he's not going to run a counter-attack out of nothing. And, of course, that's part of the metamorphosis of, of Atletico Madrid, how they are now a different team. And Simeone said it last year. One of the reasons why we don't play the same way is because when you've got a player like Luis Suarez, you have to get him closer to the area. Mm. There's no point in playing how you used to play, which was release Diego Costa on the long ball or get the ball slotted through the gap and have him run after it. Or even what they used to do with Griezmann, which is let him kind of run around on his own and sort of create things. With Suarez, you have to accompany him. But if you do, you will be a better team as a result of it. Because, of course, this game, one of the things that stands out about Suarez in this game and I personally although I think our regular listeners will know I'm quite biased I personally think stands out about Luis anyway which doesn't get talked about is his touch is brilliant in terms of bringing others into the game in terms of releasing the ball at the right time in terms of playing one-twos of people using him as the wall and his touch it might look like a simple pass but the waiting on the pass to Lamar is perfect a goal and an assist for Luis Suarez in this game. Uh, brilliant performance, certainly in the first half from Atletico Madrid. Then they controlled things uh, in the second to take all three points. First defeat of the season in La Liga for Barcelona. Uh, we'll move on because there's lots for us to discuss. If there's something we don't mention on the podcast, why not become a patron? And then you can ask us a question on our Q&A pod, which is our every Tuesday for patrons. Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Uh, it costs uh, around about four euros a month or four pounds, four pounds a month, four euros 25 or five dollars 50. So I think it's good value, around about a pound a week or something like that for uh, lots of Spanish football content. Let's talk about Real Madrid and their defeat today to Espanyol. This was the poorest performance of the season, I think, from Real Madrid. Obviously, they lost their first defeat of the season, so that yeah. probably goes hand in hand. Uh, certainly, it, yes, I think that's probably right. Um, obviously, the, the impact of the defeat against Sheriff possibly is greater in terms of this yes, is an unknown obviously. team. But I think, but, but they, I think have Sheriff, shots they, they have exactly. Scored, I mean, in a way, Sheriff, I think you can just kind of write it off as this happens because things happen in football, you know. Yeah. I think this game was slightly different because they started on the front foot, and I thought for about ten minutes, you thought, okay, this is going to be an all right performance. But then it wasn't, and Espanyol got hold of the game. They kept the ball well. They created chances. At two 0 up, they should have made it three 0 up. At, they should then have another one, which could have made yeah. it obviously three or four. Um, and then, I'll be honest with you, when Real Madrid scored, and it came out of not very much, it's a brilliant goal from Karim Benzema. It's very nicely done by Jovic, by the way, who I think Ancelotti is bit by bit going to recover. Um, at that point, I thought, that's it, Madrid, go on and win this. But then at that point, the thing that really struck me about Madrid was the sort of the chaos of it all, the, the, the sort of lack of clarity about how they wanted to go about this. And in truth, they didn't really create 
a very clear chance between between that second goal that put them back in the game and the end of the match. Not not a really clear one that I can think of. Maybe I'm missing one. No, not spring to mind at the moment. Um, is it coincidence that Casemiro didn't start this game? Um, what, you mean that they performed badly when he didn't start? Um, possibly not entirely. Uh, that said, there was a moment in the second half when Sergi there, who we'd just seen look absolutely Looked exhausted, yeah. and then he outran him. Yeah. And this is Casemiro. And I, I must admit, as he set off running, I thought there's absolutely no way he wins this race, yes. and he did. Um, I think Casemiro has looked tired. It's curious because this comes when yesterday before the game, Carlo Ancelotti had said, everyone keeps saying that Casemiro's tired, but I don't see it. And then he rested him. Now, Casemiro is about to travel to Brazil for international break and so on. So, so perhaps that's part of it. Perhaps it's partly projecting to the, to the next couple of weeks as well as just you this game. You can't waste a player so he can go away with his No, you country, can't can unless you? you think that that's a way of making sure the impact of him going with his country is less when no, he finally comes when, back. But when they come back, they don't have a game. That's true. They don't. That is absolutely true. Yeah, that is true. Um, I thought that, that the structure of the midfield was slightly strange. It was sort of a four, but not really. In that in the, it was a four, but it wasn't clear uh, exactly what the roles were. Um, I thought that when he made the change at half-time, which was to bring on Rodrigo, it was clear that he decided there wasn't sufficient width. Um, he'd moved Alaba from centre-back, where he's played all season and played reasonably well, to left-back because he'd said, and to be fair to Ancelotti, he's really good at explaining why he's trying to do things. He'd said that with Nacho there, Nacho's a bit more static, and he wanted a full-back with... Uh, projection, that's not the right word, but you know what I mean, the ability to get up and down the line, to, to try and extend uh, the, the attacks, to, to give you a little bit of width. But because he had Vinicius there, Alaba was actually going up in an inside left position rather than an outside mm. left position, which is not necessarily problematic. But I just thought the whole thing sort of didn't convince. Um, and then when the changes came, they moved to what was more or less a 4 2 4, you know, two wide wingers. Two centre-forwards, albeit Benzema then dropped off and played almost as number 10. And he's a wonderful footballer, by the way. The amount of things that Benzema does well is just extraordinary. But they didn't convince at all. You mentioned Benzema. I'm not saying he was the only one creating anything today, but he was more or less the only one creating yeah. anything today. Yeah, we didn't get as much from Vinicius, Vinicius as yeah. in previous games. I think one of the reasons for that is that is that Vinicius wasn't really given the space to run into, which I also think, by the way limits what Fede Valverde can give you uh-huh. because I think if he plays on, on the side of a four-man midfield it's not really where he wants to be he wants to be a little bit more inside and also he wants to be coming from a bit deeper at something that's opening up in front of him rather than coming from a bit deeper to a wall that's waiting for him and I think he's much less of a player in that kind of scenario I think Vinicius is a bit less of a player in, in that scenario and the player that has the imagination the incision the close control the ability in tight spaces to do that is Benzema who is just a brilliant footballer. He might be getting better. Yes, I mean, we've said that a lot. It feels like yeah. I've said that a lot. But over the last year, he's genuinely, every single week, he's producing these incredible performances, yes. scoring really, really breathtaking goals as well, and doing it week in, week out. Well, he scored a brilliant goal today and laid off a chance for a brilliant goal from Hazard, which was ruled out for offside. Right decision, but, yeah. but I think it's worth focusing on what he'd actually done. The layoff is, is, is superb. I just wonder... He hasn't been going away on international duty for many, many years, and now he is. Maybe that yes, might impact. It on, might. It might. It... I, I certainly think that the absence from the France team, what was it, six years, was it, I think, that he yeah. go to France. I think the absence from the France team possibly created a, a sense of Madrid as his stage that was sometimes beneficial for him. 
potentially. Obviously, it wasn't beneficial for him in terms of international recognition, but I think it was maybe beneficial for him in terms of club performances. I don't buy his argument. I buy it up to a point, but I don't entirely buy his argument that is that I've always played like this and people who understand football understood this and this is just that you lot have changed in terms of judging me. No, I think he's right up to a point. I think some people have changed in terms of judging him, but I actually think he has changed as well. Partly because the, the goals give a tangible obvious argument but also because actually his game has improved his position has changed the level of responsibility has made a better player of him but he had the intelligence before to effectively subsume himself within a project that allowed the two wide forwards Gareth Bale on one side and obviously in particular Cristiano Ronaldo on the other to occupy the spaces that he was creating by vacating them now I think it's true that that shows his intelligence and proves that he was a good player before, but I actually do think he is a better player as well. I don't think it's just a case of us changing how we judge him. It's been a terrible week for uh, Real Madrid. They drew with Villarreal at home last weekend. OK, that's not the end of the world, but then they lost to the Moldovan champion, Sheriff, and now uh, beaten as well by Espanyol. They're not in La Liga action again for three weeks because their match when they come back from the international break has been postponed. So the next game is the Clasico, which is going to be a really, really interesting game. I think uh, one, of our, uh, one of our patrons on our Discord said, uh, I think both teams are going to lose the Clasico, <laughs> Real Madrid and Barcelona. We've had a few Clasicos over the years where we've felt like this, and they tend to be the good ones. The ones where you think, oh, this one will be terrible because yeah. neither of them are any good. They tend to turn out quite well. I remember the, the famous 3-3. I remember yes. the build-up for that being, oh, these two teams are dreadful. This, this won't be a good game at all. Um, Here's a just, I mean, just let me throw this in and, and, and sort of... We're not, we're not starting our Classico build-up yet. No, no, we're not. No, okay. I was just going to throw this in and let our listeners decide. Um, Real Madrid's game has been postponed. It would have been with Athletic Club at the end of the international break. That obviously impacts upon them. It impacts upon Athletic. And it impacts upon the other teams in the league because you've changed the number of games that everyone's played and so on. And I believe, is it Sevilla's game is also going to be held off. Here's a very, very simple question for you. This is because the international break. Given that... I mean... Is there not an argument that says, well, just so what? Just play without a couple of Latin American players as if they were injured, the same as anything else. I don't know. There's a bit of me that thinks that the, the idea that you absolutely must postpone your next game feels a little bit bogus to me. OK, let's move on and discuss some of the other issues from uh, match day eight. Uh, I say issues because there's something we want to touch upon in the Cadiz-Valencia game. You might remember this fixture from last season. It was the fixture that was very nearly postponed, very nearly abandoned. The incident involving Mukta Diakabi and Juan Cala Diakabi alleging that he had been called a racial insult by a racist insult by uh, Juan Cala. Juan Cala uh, strenuously denied it. The game actually ended up being finished. There was a subsequent La Liga investigation which found no evidence of any racist abuse. Um, so what happened this weekend? Well, both uh, Diakabi and Juan Cala came onto the pitch. They didn't start the uh, game, but they were substitutes that came onto the pitch. And what happened when Diakabi came onto the pitch rather sadly, rather predictably, in our tribal mindset, which so many of us adopt, not just in football, but in the world, the Cadiz fans booed Diakabi. And it was just really unpleasant. Imagine how unpleasant it must have been for him to go back and to hear that. Well, you had um, Pepe Bordalas, the Valencia manager, gesture to the fans to, to be quiet. Yeah, I was going, not, not in an aggressive way. I think it's important to make this point because obviously being Bordalas, um, you know, we know how, how, how he is. But just, and, and he said after the game, like, I tried to say, don't do this because this isn't a reason 
to whistle or boo someone. Now, it's, it's probably worth making the point this was whistling and booing. It wasn't monkey chanting. It no, was, no, they, no, they no, weren't no. racially abusing him. They were whistling and booing him. Presumably, the thought process for them is he lied about our player, presumably. Presumably. Rather than, rather than we hate this guy because he's black or we hate this guy because of this no, incident. No, no, yeah. Um, and, and I thought Bord Lass's response was, was a good one, not least because, as I say, after the game he was explaining, so this isn't a reason to whistle someone. Um, I assume nothing will happen from here. I assume it no. won't be a big thing. But it, you're right, it, it just led to kind of a feeling that... No. I, 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 I don't even know how to properly articulate this. Yeah. It just led a feeling... Come on, let's not do this. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That was basically it. And just felt like something we need to we need to mention. Uh, the game was horrible, by the way, as it, it was, wasn't great. As it probably always was going to be the two of the sides of that. That said, um, Valencia made a lot more happen than, than Cardiff did, didn't Well, they? that's not hard, is it? No. I mean, Cardiff <laughs> don't necessarily is, try and make anything yeah. to happen at the side with the... Uh, Tell the listeners your amazing Cardiff stat, because I just think it's brilliant. It's an incredible stat, isn't it? They're the side that make the most tackles per game in La Liga... And the side that commit the fewest number of fouls per game. They are genuinely good at tackling. They're really good at tackling. Whereas Valencia um, are the side that make the most number of fouls per game. And they've got one of the uh, lowest number of tackles. So. Which tells you that they are... Not, Very, necess- not necessarily that they are bad at tackling, but that committing fouls... Yeah, that committing fouls is part of the programme. Yeah, literally. That's, yeah. That's, that's the idea at the moment. But yeah, they probably should have won the game. Uh, Valencia, Gonzalo Guedes had a, a really good chance that just went past the post. Uh, but... It was a point picked up by, by both sides. A uh, quick word about Villarreal and their excellent win over, over Real Betis. We were watching this together and, and enjoying the performance from Villarreal. And Arnott Danjuma, who looks a real player, what a signing. I mean, you and I, and I think a lot of people, when Villarreal signed this guy, like, what, they've spent 25 million euros on a winger from Bournemouth. Who is this guy? Until Camavinga came, the most expensive... No, sorry, I lie, because Rodrigo, Rodrigo de Paul as well. So I think he's the third most expensive player signed by a Spanish club this summer. I mean, it might not sound a lot, guys. 25 million euros for a Spanish team at the moment is a lot of money. Uh, especially a Spanish team that's not Madrid or Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. um, Villarreal don't waste money, though. So I suppose the one thing you would think when you see that signing is, well, they've seen something in him. They don't do mad signings. They don't chase... Uh, crazy decisions but we still didn't anticipate this he's played really really well coming in off the left hand side the first of the two that he scores today is basically the goal he tried to score against Real Madrid the goal he almost scored a couple of times against Manchester United in in midweek and they looked really good Villarreal despite the absence of Gerard Moreno despite the absence of Paco Alcácer despite the absence of Dia who was going to play up front they actually played with and, up front, and Raul Albiol as well. Was and Raul Albiol. Back. Up yeah. front was Jeremy Pino. And he's not a centre-forward. In the second half, he was basically playing up front for a little while at least with Manu Trigueros. <laughs> and Manu Trigueros is many things, including a school teacher. <laughs> he's not a centre-forward. No. But it was a really, really yeah, good performance. Yeah, they played very well. Very well indeed. Against one of the most informed sides uh, in La Liga at the moment. But Real Betis comprehensively beaten by, by Villarreal. Really strong performance from Unai Emery's side. And they're unbeaten. At the moment, as things stand, because we're recording and it's half-time against Granada and Sevilla, so, but Granada leading Sevilla. So as things stand, at the time of recording, Villarreal are the only unbeaten side left in La Liga. Yes. Yes? If, if Sevilla don't turn this round, yeah. No, but I'm saying at the time of yeah. recording. Yeah, God knows what happens in the future, yeah. but at the time of recording. So well done. But they will listen to us in the future. This is quite, this kind of bends your mind a little. Yeah, let's not take it too deep. It's going to get all Inception-y. Um, before we go, we have to talk about one of our favourite oh. players. But not just players, one of our favourite men I in Spain. I love this man. Iñaki Williams, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
I just we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just making sure we're talking about the same player. <laughs> yeah, um, it wasn't Barry Aspas. This it wasn't time. Barry Aspas. Like, Raul Garcia. No, yeah, um, I do like him as well, actually. But no, Iñaki, who made that incredible, unbelievable record. I mean, 203 consecutive appearances for uh, Athletic Club. Okay, it's not starts, but it's appearances. Listen. The pandemic couldn't stop him. Injury couldn't stop him. A cold couldn't stop him. Changing in managers couldn't stop him. He's played every game. It's unbelievable. Every game for five and a half years. <laughs> um, it, it's just extraordinary. And the other thing that couldn't stop him, by the way, and, and genuinely in modern football, it's worth making this point as well. Referees couldn't stop him. Bear in mind that over the course of a season, if you get five yellow cards in an entire season, you'll get suspended. And he never even got to five yellow cards. Given how easy it is to give away fouls, how easy it is for referees to pull out cards for you in games these days, that he never got more than four yellow cards in a season, I think is extraordinary as well. Because he is a physical player. He is a player who tries to chase down defenders. He is a player who, who in theory, would be liable to give away fouls, but he just doesn't do it. He doesn't chat back to referees. He's not, you know, he's not aggressive or nasty in that sense. I think it's, I think it's amazing. I really do. And it's, you know, the, the, the physical condition of him is incredible too. For an explosive player, yes, a player who is the fastest player in Spain as well, I think we've said before, to not get muscular injuries is just, I mean, it's pretty much a miracle. It's impossible. And yet he's done it. It's just, <laughs> just brilliant. He had, I mean, we may be a little bit biased. I mean, we like him a lot, so maybe we are a little bit biased. But I think he had a chance of being in this Spain squad, given that there's no Alvaro Morata, there's no Gerard Moreno as well. He hasn't really taken any strikers. I think he, in terms of the yeah. Spanish strikers in La Liga. Yes, I agree with you. It is true that um, his goal-scoring record isn't brilliant. It's true that statistically there are doubts about him as a striker. But I think if you take him to the Spanish national team, a team that creates more chances, and also he gives you something slightly different to the others, mm. and he's a little bit more direct, he's obviously incredibly quick. There's not that many really fast players. In what would normally be the Spanish starting eleven. obviously in the squad there's one or two others, but what would normally be the starting eleven, it's only really Jordi Alba who's very, very quick, isn't there? Is he still very, very quick? I suppose Oyarzabal's pretty quick, isn't he? But he's probably the only Not one. Not very, very quick. Yeah. yeah. So he would be, I mean, as I already said, he's the fastest in that league. He would, I think he could be useful for Spain. But it is true that there is a, a, a certain limitation as a goal scorer, yes. that's true. But I'm just talking about in this particular yes. squad with those strikers um, out. All right, listen, uh, that's it for this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. We haven't mentioned what happened in the Segunda because produ- producer Al wasn't able to send us the production notes for this week's podcast. Oviedo so all- nil-nil, I can tell you that. Oh, I was going to ask you what happened with Oviedo. Yeah, nil-nil. With? Saragossa. Oh, right. Okay. So another nil-nil. It's not very We're not very good to watch, to be perfectly honest with you, no. Yes. Okay. But then you say that, you know, I say that as if it was a surprise. I think most people knew that already. Okay. Hashtag never watch Oviedo. Um, We'll leave it there. Thanks for joining us. And if you want to be a patron and get loads of extra content, then come and join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. We'll be there for the rest of the week. If not, we'll be back as ever uh, next Monday. See you then. Adios. Cheerio. Sports 
Social Podcast Network.